Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, here on the Beeson Podcast, it's time for another sermon. Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. and I are here to introduce you today to a sermon by Dr. Cleophus J. LaRue. Dr. Cleophus LaRue is the Francis Landy Patton Professor of Homiletics at Princeton Theological Seminary. He's a native of Texas. He holds Ph.D. degree from Princeton. He's preached all over the country. He's an ordained minister in the National Baptist Convention of America, and he presented our own William E. Conger, Jr. Lectures on Biblical Preaching right here at Beeson, and this sermon came from that series. Dean George, I think this message was so um, relevant for our students, very practical, and it's a simple outline. He just asked the question, what are you afraid of, based upon the uh, parable of the, um, the talents, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Uh, what are you afraid of concerning the past, concerning the present, concerning the future? And within that shows us biblically, here's another person who's very biblically suckled, um, how we face those questions and how we take what God has given us and use them for the glory of God. In fact, his ending is going to be quite creative mm. in that he is going to <laughs> remind us that there is still grace yeah. and the reason for not reading that part that shows where that individual who buries the one talent that he has, uh, the reason for not reading that part in terms of abandonment is because God is still trying to give you another chance. He gives you another chance. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, he brings together in this sermon a sense of the fear that we all face. Exactly. What about yesterday? What about tomorrow? What about right now? Together with this sense of stewardship. Right. God has given you something. Right. He's given you gifts. He's given you a life. Yes. What are you doing with it? How are you investing it? And God has not given anything, everything. And therefore, we are to treasure what God has done for us, knowing that the greatest gift we could receive is to hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant, which he says to the one with five talents and the one with two. And I thought it was amazing where he shows that even one talent, how much that was worth, Yes, and yet it was not invested. Well, let's listen to Dr. Cleophus J. LaRue right here at Beeson Divinity School as he preaches on, What Are You Afraid Of? Good morning to you, Dr. George, to my friend, Dr. Smith, to the faculty, administration, staff, and student body. To Mrs. Conger, to you, my sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus, I count it a privilege to be here with you for the next few days. And I thank God for the opportunity to come this way, to be with you at Beeson Divinity School. And looking forward to our time together. When... Um, when Bob Hatfield told you that I was the one who selected the hymns, I thought about the people at the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York where I preached not long ago and selected the hymns. No one told them that I selected them. And one of the ministers in the pulpit leaned across me to talk to another minister, and she said, 
Who selected these sorry hymns this morning? I never answered. I just kept singing, whatever it was. When I was selecting the hymns, I was thinking about the God who is faithful, great, and amazing. That is the God who sustains us. That's what I had in my mind. Uh, Dr. George was kind enough to loan me his Bible, one of his Bibles. I asked him, I said, do you have a pulpit Bible? And I was really asking, hoping that he didn't, uh, because those pulpit Bibles scare me sometimes. They're huge. Some of them contain the Apocrypha. (laughs) They have all kinds of biblical art in them. And I was preaching one morning and trying to find my text in that Bible. I got lost in the Apocrypha, in the artwork. (laughs) Took me the longest to find my text. So I was glad when he said, I don't have one, but I'll, I'll loan you one of mine. And I, I thank him for that. I want to preach to you for just a little while uh, this morning. Matthew, uh, the 25th chapter, verses 14 through 25. Let me express to you what it means to me to have Dr. James Earl Massey with us this morning. He is, he is known, he is widely read, he is a giant in our religious world, and it is wonderful to have you here this morning. And I mean that. I mean that. I might let you give these lectures for the third time. If you... <laughs> Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 14 through 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
And that is the question I have for you this morning. What are you afraid of? Let us pray. Come now, O Lord, in power and in might. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What are you afraid of? There are three people in this text on the receiving end of money. The text says talent. We know a talent was a measure of money. One person was given five, another person was given two, a third person was given one. According to some estimates, one talent was the equivalent of 15 years of a laborer's wages. One talent was the equivalent of 15 years of a laborer's wages. So you can see all three people in the text have been given a substantial sum of money for the purpose of trading with it profitably in their master's absence. Put it to use. So the one who had received five talents, he went immediately and put his master's money to work. And the one who had received two talents, he went immediately and put his master's money to work. But the one who had received one talent, he dug a hole and buried his master's money in the earth. After a while, the master of those servants returned and called them to give an account of their stewardship, as one day God will do with all of us. In my home state of Texas, they used to have a saying, I wouldn't mind dying if dying was all. But after death comes the judgment when I've got to stand before God and give an account. Well, the person who had received five talents, he stepped up to the plate to make his report. You know, when you've done your best, you don't mind making your report. He said, Master, you gave me five. I'm happy to report to you today. I put that money to work and I have increased them to ten. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one who had received two stepped up to make his report. You gave me two, I put that money to work. I'm happy to report to you today that I have increased them to four. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you get the drift in the text? It does not matter how much they had been given as long as they did the best they could. They all received the same words of commendation from the master. Well done. Well, the one who had received one talent, he started scratching where he was not itching. He was grinning like a Cheshire cat and nothing was funny. Instead of moving towards his master to make his report, he started doing the back step. 
I have to be careful. I was demonstrating one day in a church doing the backstep and I almost fell out of the pulpit. He started doing the backstep. He said, Master, I knew what kind of man you are and because of the kind of person that you are, I didn't do anything with what you gave me. Here it is, just like you gave it to me with a little dirt on it. No well done. No good and faithful servant. Fear calls him to act irresponsibly with that which had been entrusted to him for a season. He said it right here. I was afraid. <laughs> Fear calls him to act irresponsibly with that which had been entrusted to him for a season. And I suppose it is possible for us this morning to look at this person with one talent and say, oh, how silly, how foolish, how illogical, how irrational for him to be afraid simply because he had only one talent. But before we pronounce judgment upon this person with one talent, I need to tell us something. That person with one talent is us. And we are that person. And I hear some of you saying this morning, oh no preacher, I'm the person with five. God has been good to me. That's not why Jesus told this parable. <laughs> and I hear some of you saying, well I don't have as much as some people, but what the Lord gave me. That's not why he told this parable. Told this parable of the talents because he wanted us to recognize that that person with one talent is us. Not in the sense that we only have one talent, but in the sense that we are all afraid of something. Something that keeps us from being all that God would have us to be. Something that keeps us from coming to maturity in the faith. We are all afraid of something just like this person in the text. Well, what are we afraid of? Well, some of us are afraid of the past. There is some unfortunate incident, some grave error, some mistake in judgment in our past. And out of fear that one day it will see the light of day, we live in fear of the past. And may I say here parenthetically, don't be too harsh on people when skeletons are exposed in their closets. For we all live in haunted houses. And you never know when a ghost from your past is coming home to haunt you. Don't be too quick to say what you wouldn't be caught dead doing. If you live long enough and the truth be known, we, you might have to die because we might find out what's back there. Don't be too harsh on people. And then some people uh, are uh, afraid of uh, the present. This is especially true of people who come up the rough side of the mountain. People who have borne their burdens in the heat of the day. People for whom life has not been easy. Langston Hughes said, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. If you're not careful, you will find yourselves living in fear of right now. 
just have this uneasy feeling that something is going to come right now and take away all that I have worked so hard in my life to build up. And this is not a difficult fear to have, especially in this day of pink slips and layoffs and cutbacks and reductions in force. It is possible to fear right now that something could come out of the blue. Sometimes we fear uh, the future. Senior citizens who've trusted God all their lives, if they are not careful when they come to the twilight of their years, they will find themselves living in fear of what tomorrow may bring. Lord, will my health hold out? Will I be able to stay in my right mind? Will I become a burden to my children? Will they have to break my door down and find me sprawled out on the floor somewhere? What will my end be? We're all afraid of something. We fear exposure. We fear loneliness. We fear disease. We fear sickness. We fear terror. We fear death. We are all afraid of something. Causes us to be anxious about what tomorrow may bring. John Calvin, the Protestant reformer, you know, a teacher at Princeton, you have to mention John Calvin. John Calvin, <laughs> the Protestant reformer said, our minds are factories of fear. Our minds just crank out stuff for us to be afraid of. Mark Twain said, I don't know how he knew it, Mark Twain said, 90% of the stuff we worry about never happens. 90% of the stuff we worry about never happens. Of course, Cleo LaRue said the 10% that does happen is enough to kill you, so worry about that. <laughs> and leave the 90% alone. Whatever we fear, whatever we fear in here, will eventually manifest itself in our lives some kind of way. What you fear in here will show up in your lives some kind of way. Sometimes what we fear in here uh, is a loss of uh, direction. You say, well, I want to try my hand at this, but if I go in that direction, it might not work out. I'm thinking about doing this, but I might meet with failure. I'd like to go in that direction, but I might be humiliated. Sometimes fear shows up in our lives as a loss of direction. The one with five went this way, the one with two went this way, the one with one went that way. Fear causes us to lose our sense of direction. Sometimes what we fear shows up in our lives as a loss of verb and vitality. D-E-R-V-E, verb -E, and vitality. Our get up and go has gotten up and gone. There is no fire in the belly. There is no can-do spirit. We say every time I try to do something in life, the dead hand of the past slaps me back. And therefore, I find myself stuck in a rut. All of my vitality and energy for life are gone because of fear. Sometimes what we fear shows up in our lives as an overwhelming sense of inadequacy. Lord, when I look around and see how good you have been to others, 
what they have, what they know, where they've been. I say, Lord, you cheated me. I don't have all that I need to make it in this life. And it creates in us an overwhelming sense of inadequacy. And feelings of inadequacy eventually lead to envy and jealousy. Feelings of inadequacy. Because a jealous person is one who feels so inadequate that he thinks he's going to lose what he has. And an envious person is one who feels so inadequate that they think they ought to have what you have. It's all related to this fear. Now, I do not have all of the answers, but before I take my seat, I at least want to point us in the right direction about the unfounded fears in our lives that keep us from being all that God would have us to be. Whenever, whenever we permit ourselves to give in to unfounded fears, we are cheating ourselves out of something that God has for us. Whenever we permit ourselves to give in to unfounded fears, we are cheating ourselves. This person with one talent was doing all right till the day he remembered there was a person out there with five times as much. So, oh my goodness, there's a person out there with five times as much as I have. Whenever we start to think of ourselves as little and insignificant, we are headed down mess-up road. There is not a person living to whom God has not given something. You may not be able to sing like an angel, and you may not be able to preach like Paul, but God has given you something to function with in this life. And God is looking to you to make your contribution to the human situation. And there is one thing nobody can beat you doing, and that is your best. When you've done your best, that's all God requires. And I say to you this morning, God never gives anything, everything. He always saves a little bit for you and for me. He never gives anything, everything. If you don't believe it, look at nature. Look at the peacock strutting and preening in full plumage with that sun-crowned head and that colorful tailspan and that wonderful strut. You could look at the peacock and say, my God, God gave the peacock everything. But just keep on looking. Look past that sun-crowned head and look past that colorful tailspan and look past that strut and you'll see some of the dirtiest, rusty, scratched-up feet you've ever seen. And you'll say, oh, no, God didn't give the peacock everything. God always saves some for you and for me. We could come to such peace and contentment in our lives if we could just recognize that I am where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing with what the Lord hath given me. I am where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing with what the Lord hath given me. There was a man, this is a story, there was a man who took his son to an edge, edge of a field and told him, I want you to chop uh, weeds in this part of the field. I'll be back for you in the evening. 
While the little boy was chopping, he looked across the way, and there were some businessmen uh, marking off land in the country for future development. And in the process of marking off the land, they got confused about the road which led back to the city. So they yelled across the way to the little boy and said, Little boy, which way back to the city? The little boy said, Oh, the city's that way. And they started walking, and the little boy said, Wait, I'm sorry, come back, the city's that way. And they started walking, he said, Whoa, come back, the city is that way. And finally one of the businessmen said, Why don't you leave that poor little boy alone? Can't you tell that little boy is lost? And the little boy said, No, I'm not lost. I'm where I'm supposed to be. That my father told me to work this part of the field. I'm where I'm supposed to be. The businessman said to him, but you don't even know how to get to the city. The little boy said, that's because I'm not going to the city, but I'm not lost. I'm where I'm supposed to be, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. May I say to us also that this person with one talent focused too much on what he did not have and not enough on what the Lord had given him. He went around saying, you know, if I could just be in a different environment, a different milieu, I wouldn't mind using this one little measly talent. If I didn't have to be around people who had been given so much, I wouldn't mind working with this little bit that I've been given. But that person with one talent was not being true to life. For there will never come a time in our lives when everything is just like we want it to be. In life, you have to learn to play the hand that life deals you. And I know uh, we'd all like a hand full of jacks and queens and kings. I know, maybe you all don't play it down here in Beeson. I'm sorry to use this card-playing analogy, but jacks and queens and kings and jokers and aces and deuces we'd all like a handful but the truth of the matter is that somebody's got to get some threes fours and fives but when you get a bad hand learn how to keep a straight face some of you all we don't have to ask you how things are going in your life we can tell when you look walk down that aisle looking like you ate a bowl of persimmons that things are not well when you get a bad hand learn how to keep a straight face this is what you need to know. The God you serve is in charge of the shuffle. Amen. It may not be the hand you prefer, but it is a playable hand. For he will not give you more than you can bear. Play the hand you have. And God's going to throw you a better hand after a while. Oh, if you have hidden your talent in the earth, Go now. Go at once. Go as you are. And dig it up. And use what God has given you. A student pointed out to me that you cut the verse reading off short. You didn't read all of that passage because he was banished to the outer darkness. And you didn't preach about that. I said I haven't preached about that because God is still trying to give you a chance. Use what you have been given while it is still day. Use it before the master comes. Use it 
before the hour of judgment strikes. Use it. Use what you have been given for the ministry and work of Jesus Christ. Use it for the betterment of humankind. Use it to the honor and glory of God the Father. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.